Welcome to Slow Stories. I'm Rachel Schwartzman, the founder of Connected Editorial and the host and creator of this podcast. For those of you just joining in, Slow Stories is a series that deep dives into the rising slow content movement. In each of these episodes, I interview brand builders, entrepreneurs, and creative professionals who share what slow content means in the context of what they're building and why slowing down and creating thoughtful stories is more important than ever. This episode begins with a story from stylist and creative director Bryn Taylor, who shares how she's learned to regain focus on the present moment. Here's more from Bryn. My name is Bryn, and I'm the founder and creative director of Lisa, a French-inspired slow fashion brand for the aspiring minimalist. One thing that's made me slow down, unplug, and stop scrolling recently is my acting class. I took up a beginner class whose foundational technique is observation-based, meaning we have to observe and absorb the environment around us, both on and off stage. The experience has helped me become more present in my day-to-day activities. The exercises we're learning are from a book called An Actor's Companion by Seth Barish, and I like to practice them in the evening to unplug after work. As an example, one of the exercises is called Real Life Models, and it reads, if in a particular scene you are chatting over breakfast, Observe your real-life breakfast, see what it feels like, take what you learn from the experience, and adjust your behavior on stage accordingly. There is no better guide than real experience. So through this exercise, I've been able to observe things like how I'm sitting, what I'm hearing outside my window, how I'm interacting with whatever's in front of me, things that will usually go completely unnoticed by me. This focus brings me into the moment and allows me to just be present. Thank you so much again to Bryn for sharing. Again, the book she mentioned was An Actor's Companion by Seth Barish, and you can learn more about Bryn's brand, Weeza, online at Weeza.clothing. Now, here's my conversation with Ashley Merrill. As hours pass, pay attention to the way the light shifts. Notice how the afternoon sun fades into dusk. Another night has arrived. How was your day? How do you feel? And perhaps more importantly, how will you rest and replenish? These questions drive creative entrepreneur Ashley Merrill, who's known for her work as a co-founder of The Deep, principal at impact investing firm NAHCO3, chairperson of Outdoor Voices, and as it pertains to this episode, Lunia, a modern sleepwear brand founded by Ashley with the mission to help find beauty in the everyday. Over the years, Lunia has grown into a category-defining brand at the intersection of wellness, design, and as Ashley puts it, creative problem-solving. But for Ashley, achieving success means nothing without building a business and living a life fueled by intention. And in this interview, Ashley shared more about the relationship between creativity and pace, the complicated notion of balance, how she views slow storytelling, and how dreams show up in her daily life. All of this to say, Ashley's story will surely slow you down and hopefully inspire you to dream. So whether you're enjoying a hot cup of coffee or letting our conversation help guide you to sleep, here's Ashley Merrill, founder of Lunia. Full disclosure, I'm a parent, so a decent amount of my time outside of my profession is oriented around my kids and my family, which I enjoy, but it certainly is a big piece of my time. 
lately I've tried to really prioritize hobbies again in my life and I've taken up ceramics and woodworking. It's been really nice to be away from a screen and to be tactile in a different way. So I'm really enjoying those things. I'm not going to pretend I'm good at them because <laughs> I'm really, I'm, I'm very much an amateur. I have to say that's part of the joy of it too. It's been really nice to be kind of amateur, but also okay with being amateur. They're practices that get to be about the journey instead of so much about the end result. Is there anything that you've made that you're particularly proud of or surprised by? Sure. Well, I am in progress with this console table. And actually what it was, was I dismantled an old coffee table, put all these planks together, and I'm trying to make this console table that'll go behind my couch in the living room. And it is massive. I think I really underestimated what I signed up for when I started it, but I'm really loving it because it's very organic. I almost think of cooking like woodworking and that there's different ways you could approach it, right? There's like a measured sort of baking style approach where you could like very much templatize it and make it very specific and try to like hit all of your perfect dimensions. And then like cooking, I have a general guideline of where I want to go. But then there's an aspect of this where I'm just going to kind of feel it out and go with what is happening in front of me. And I've definitely taken the latter. And so I'm really enjoying that there's just like an aspect of this table that is organic and natural. And then also when I mess up and I'm like air quoting messing up, my new challenge begins to be to incorporate that and figure out how to like make that work for me. Well, it's interesting. I feel like this is already a through line that I'm seeing with your story. These are all things that you can make and that have longevity in a way, even though you finish a meal, it's something that I think nourishes you and stays with you. So I love it. I'm I'm definitely seeing the pattern. And, you know, on that subject, Lunya, which we'll talk about shortly, is a celebration of rest and leisure and creativity in that way. But, you know, aside from the company's origin story, I'd love to talk about your relationship with nighttime, because I think when we think about rest and leisure, that period comes to mind. And so what rituals do you adopt at this time of day? It is a time of day, particularly in this stage of life, that I just look forward to and I just relish this time of day. And I think some of that I'll just say is, you know, running a business, which is incredibly fast paced and, you know, you've got an endless number of projects and needs. And then having children who I could almost describe the same way, an endless number of projects and needs. Um, (laughs) There's something about when I finally get to that last stage of my day, And it's the one time that like nobody needs anything from me. It feels really nice. And maybe some of that is, you know, whether you are an introvert or an extrovert. And I I love how someone defined this for me at one point as it's not do you like being around people, but it's what is the state you go to to recharge. And I am an introvert in that I do go towards solo behaviors to recharge myself. And so I think that makes this all the more luxurious for me, that stage of the day, because I really just get to finally put my feet up. And so for me, what that looks like, and and it's sort of funny because Lunia and Lago are absolutely designed for rest, and that could be for sleep or for lounging around the house, but I, in particular, wear it all the time. So for me, sometimes it just means a shedding of certain layers that I'm wearing. I think that the way I think about it a little bit is almost like a uniform. You know how you put on a uniform to play on a sports team? And and in a weird way, the uniform makes you look like everybody else, right? It gives you the same jersey as everyone. Because in the moments you're on a team, you're subverting the individual for the whole. 
And so the act of having the clothes that reinforce that action is powerful. And I think that sometimes dressing for the state of mind that you want to be in has that same power. And so for me, there is an aspect of shedding whatever I had on in the day and kind of having a sleep version of that. And so certainly that's part of it. My best nights are the nights that I can have time to do all the creams and like all my sort of beauty regimen before bed. And I'm, I'm not really like a big makeup person. So actually, most of my beauty routine is, is done at night. And that's actually when that, that practice happens. And then I usually make tea and I'm like very specific about my teas. I drink this like Bengal spice or licorice tea. It's like one or the other. And then I get in bed and I have this funny thing with my kids where I'm like, once my feet go up, I'm not getting out. Obviously, if like something really bad, like house is on fire, or they're like throwing up, I will get out of bed. But like, I've really tried to set the expectation that this is my time, you know? And so when I finally put my feet up, it's like, Oh my gosh, nobody's going to ask me for anything. This is like really my time. And sometimes I get in a phase of reading where I love reading in bed. Sometimes though, even that is too much. And I almost need to just be more passive. I often watch TV in bed, which I know people will tell you is a no-no. But for me, it's great because it's a bit of a more passive process. And it lets me wind down without even you know having to be conscious of it. I mean, I watch tons of things. And then I put on moving, I think it's called Moving Art, which is this like incredible show on Netflix. Have you heard of this before? No, but tell me more. (laughs) Phenomenal. Like if you've ever seen, if you've ever seen Planet Earth. I mean, it's the most soothing thing in the world. Okay. So this is that, but better. I know it's hard to believe that that exists. The whole thing is almost shot like a visual meditation and it's all just to music. There's no verbal at all. It's a series. And so um, we put it on and I put on a sleep timer and it's almost like I'm a little kid who listens to like rain music or something. My body hears that and is instantly like, time for bed. It's so funny. So that's basically my nighttime. And even to get more crazy about it, I sleep with like five pillows. And I don't know if that makes me like princess of the pea here, but I have like a whole regimen of pillows between the knees. I have a hold pillow. I have two pillows for my head. I have like a bunch of piercings on one ear. I have like an airplane pillow that I stick my piercings in, a whole thing. But I just basically am like trying to create that moment between the clothes I wear, the tea I drink, the audio that's playing. It just like helps my body kind of fade off into rest. I mean, I know so much of our life has moved for many of us at home. So to create that clear delineation that this is your safe space to really slow down and reconnect with yourself sounds amazing. And if I don't, I find it really hard to stop the buzzing of the day. You know how like you're just going and there's almost like an adrenaline in work in a great way, to be honest, in a way that I really enjoy and keeps me very invigorated. But that buzzing also keeps me awake at night. So if I don't have like an interim period that helps me like kind of go from high intensity work and kids Mm -hmm. into a relaxed state. I usually wake up at like 3 a.m. and that's the end of my sleep. So it's, you know, I have to really kind of work into it. I've been saying recently that slowness in any form, whether it's online or offline, it really is a practice and it's something Mm -hmm. that you have to choose every day. 
you know, life only affords so much space for that, that I think when you right. can hold on to those moments, it's really special. And it's something that I've learned. And I think that has a lot to do with what you're doing in your business. But just on the note of stories, I've actually been working my way through Nina McLaughlin's columns for the Paris Review. And she has a really beautiful one called The Moon in Full. And in one of her essays, Long Night Moon, she says that In those long nights, perspective is not skewed, but opened wider. The moon's silver quiet light allows for these encounters with the parts of ourselves that hide in caves, the banished parts. The moon knows we need to see. Isn't that beautiful? That is beautiful. Wow. And I bring that up because I believe Lunia was named with the moon in mind. It was. It was. And so on the subject of nighttime the moon, Lunya. Just for those who don't have the full backstory, I'd love to have you share how you arrived at this place where Lunya felt necessary and just give that context. Absolutely. Gosh, it's been a long time, which is also alarming to me. How did I get here? Uh, 10 years. It's been 10 years since I had the idea and the company's been launched for eight years. So basically, I could relate to Lunya as a customer foremost. And what I mean by that is I was wearing my husband's old clothes around the house, trying to be comfortable, but also, you know, wearing a Star Wars shirt. So I walked by the mirror in our bedroom and I remember looking at myself and being like, is this it? Is this what it's going to be? You know, is this who I am now? It was weird because I've worn this outfit. I mean, I'd probably worn this outfit a hundred times, maybe more. And for whatever reason, I like really looked at myself in that moment. And I thought about, okay, why am I wearing this? I'm like, okay, I'm wearing this to be comfortable because I'm at home and I'm not going to be uncomfortable, right? So that was where I was at. And then I began on a journey to be like, could I buy something else that maybe makes me feel a little more put together, a little bit more like my best self, but also is comfortable? Like, would that exist? And started me on a process. I wasn't trying to start a business here. I was trying to solve my own customer problem and I couldn't find something. I mean, to be honest, like everything out there was lingerie or very traditional pajama sets. And neither of those really felt like what I was looking for. And then a lot of the things that existed also felt novelty. So there were things that like, if I were to try to use a a good example, it'd be like a pair of pants with a giant bow, you know, around the waist. And it's like, well, that's really cute. But have you tried sleeping on a knot? Like it's not so comfortable, you know, or all these tops that were spaghetti strings. And I was waking up with my arms like twisted in them and thinking, you know, this is not designed functionally for sleeping. This is very cute, but nobody's thinking about the function of play here. And so anyway, it started me on a journey of looking for something that could really solve the problem that I was feeling like I was having. And there wasn't anything. And, and as I reached out and asked other people what they were wearing around the house, I kind of realized that, oh my gosh, this this is bigger than me. This is something other people are struggling with. And a lot of people wearing substitute products, you know, wearing their workout clothes around the house and all this. And I thought, these are all synthetic fabrics. Do you really want to be wearing nylon pants all day and maybe all night? Like that, that doesn't feel right either. So that was really, if I go, what was the aha moment for me? That was really what it was. And that started off, you know, really creating this, this whole company with this aim of helping people rest better. I mean, it's pretty simple. And I think some of that is like bringing almost an athletic wear sensibility into problem solving. You know, it's obvious that 
you might want a high compression bra with adjustable straps when you're going to go for a run. Nobody's questioning that anymore. But when you sleep, you need straps to stay put because if you're on your side, you don't want to end up tangled in it. You need a waistband that doesn't ride up. You need pockets because you're walking around the house with your cell phone and you need your free hand so that you can wash your face and make breakfast. You know, these little simple things, like none of this is actually incredibly novel. It's just a sensibility that we really weren't bringing to sleep. We just didn't value it enough. And I felt like, my goodness, you know, this feels like something that's worth valuing. And then I would add to that and say, over time, I got a lot more validation on the idea. I had children and I experienced extreme levels of sleep deprivation, which most parents do. And I really looked at sleep in a different light. I was like, oh my goodness, sleep is a foundation of everything. I am an unpleasant person without sleep. I'm not capable of complex thought without sleep. I don't work out when I don't sleep. I don't eat well when I don't sleep. Like sleep is the hub of the wheel. Like it's everything. You know, this is the thing that we should all be talking about. And, and so, over time, I gained even more conviction about the you know, awareness and the problem solving that we are bringing to rest. To add to that, I don't function even on the most basic level without sleep. So what you've done mm. is a necessary thing. And I think it calls to mind what I was saying earlier is that it's a choice to bring that sensibility and that thought to every aspect of our leisure experience, whether we're awake or asleep. Totally. <laughs> So would you say that Lunia is more of a design-based or wellness company? You know, that's a great question. I've never thought about it as an either-or. And I think it's almost like if you would ask Apple if they're design-based or tech-based. I think we're a problem-solving company would be how I would describe us. And I think good design is both functional and aesthetically pleasing. You know, I think that it can be both. Good design is not just pretty, but improves the experience of the wearer. It's definitely high barb. And I think that if you look at getting good sleep, resting well as, um, and by the way, I think about that beyond product. I think that exists. Certainly that's what Lunia and Lago out there building incredible sleepwear and restwear with this intention of helping in this way. But I do think what we're also trying to do from a mission standpoint is elevate the role rest plays in people's lives. Instead of competing for how little hours of sleep we got, let's change the stigma around rest as, you know, actually, we really want you to prioritize rest because we want you to be clear headed the next day. And also you can be a person that, you know, we sort of joke at the company, it's like work hard, rest hard. I'm not sitting here telling people to not show up to work and to rest all day. It's this is not the same thing. Rest is the unlock that lets you be the person you want to be. And I think that that's what wellness kind of does to you too. I mean, it helps you live longer. It helps you show up healthier and fire on all cylinders. And so I would say rest is in service of your wellness. And I would say that design is in service of your rest. It's interesting though, when I speak with founders who are building something through these lenses, I'm always curious or have become much more curious about whether or not entrepreneurship, professional passion, and slowness can coexist. You know, we're seeing a lot of changes on the landscape in terms of how people are building companies. But I'm curious to get your thoughts just as a founder and a VC and a parent. I think there's a tension here that even as an advocate for rest, I'm not going to be able to dispel. It's hard to make something meaningful without just straight up time and energy. You know, that is what I have. 
to put into something. And I also think balance is a bit of a trap that we can fall into in that I think if you're looking at balance, is it myopic? If you're looking at it in the near term, if you're looking at balance in your day, in your week, I think it's harder. I think the safest way to look at balance is in a lifetime. And the reason I say that is, you know, we like to think we can multitask really well, but most of the studies show that you don't multitask that well. You think you multitask well, but you actually don't. I think people who can go narrow and deep can have more effectiveness. And, and I think that's true for anything you do, honestly. I think it's true for parenting, it's true for working out, it's true. anything I can like focus on, I can do a good job with. And so I think when we start to try to really push the narrative that you should be able to do all the things that would be part of how you define a balanced life at once and that you should then somehow feel very zen and at peace while doing all of that. I think that's going to be tough. I look at life, it sounds a little morbid, but I like to look at life from the vantage point of my deathbed. And I look back on life and then I think, was it balanced? And was it balanced based on the priorities that I believe in? And so for me, my buckets might be things like professional success. It could be creativity. It could be time with my children. It could be time traveling, time with my spouse. Like I could make all these buckets, right, of how I could use my time. And then if I look back and I go, did I use my time well? And am I happy with that allocation? And also like time at leisure, to your point, there's a word odium, which is your sort of less productive time, like the time that you'd spend, you know, woodworking or resting or reading a book and those kinds of times. How does that shape up? And I think I have chosen a path that is more of an extreme path in that I'm going to be all in in my career. I'm going to go so hard on my career. I actually am kind of notoriously not a good sleeper when I'm stressed out, which is part of the irony of this whole thing. But it's also why it matters so much to me. You know, I go so hard on work. And then I'm also not going to do it forever. I'm going to roll the dice on life that I'm going to go really hard. And I'm going to have a intense period of life that is very career oriented. And instead of looking at it, like I'm going to work 60 years and retire from the same job, I'm not saying people really do that anymore. I'm like, I'm going to try to work 20 years and go super hard and give it my all. And then really at that point, I'm going to have to like, find peace with wherever I'm at. And so that's really how I have approached balance and rest and how I think about those things. And actually, it's interesting timing because I just appointed a CEO at Lumio. And this has been a huge unlock. I'm 10 years on this company. And I finally looked at myself and I thought, you know what? I spend a lot of time with my employees helping to focus them on what they're best at. You know, instead of going like, hey, you need to be this like super perfectly well-rounded human. It's like, what is it that you're the best at? What is it that gives you life? What is it that like gives you energy? What is it that you do better than other people? And, and almost how do you build a career over the long term that puts you in that direction. I finally looked at myself and I went, okay, if I did that same service for myself, what are the things I should be spending my time on? And how do I best contribute to this team? And I went, you know, it's probably not a CEO. I'm really helpful in a lot of the creative functions, supporting the marketing team and the product team and operating as a founder. So I think some of that is like, you can't get caught in the trap of like, I always want to be optimizing towards the most senior title in the room. It's a little bit of like, like, how do I make it so that I'm spending my time doing the things that are absolutely the best things for me to do? And it's absolutely a privilege to be at the place now where I can think that way. Like early on, it was too bad. I couldn't afford a CEO, if, even if I didn't want to be the CEO. But now the company is 
big enough that I could start to really optimize. And I, I do think some of that connects to this idea of building balance in my life. And I'm thinking about, well, as a CEO, you got to lead from the front. You're all in all the time. All the stress of the company is on you. And I've done that for 10 years. But I can get somebody else who's maybe even better than me at that. And I can shift my attention here. It's less stressful for me. And it's absolutely using my unique talents. Like, wouldn't that be great? And so, I don't know, when you talk about balance and finding time for these things, I think it's very nuanced. So I guess with this new addition to the team, how do you think your relationship with pace is going to change? It's already changed a lot. And so we use this term ikigai, it's a Japanese word, and we have it as a company value, actually. And it's this idea of doing the thing that brings you joy. And it's sort of what I'm alluding to earlier. And figuring out what brings you joy, it's the intersection of what you're good at, what the world needs, what you can get paid for, and one other thing, which I can't remember. And you do this kind of exercise where you fill in all these things in these bubbles, and then you kind of like work your way to the center. And for me, creative problem solving was at the center. It's not like there's a title, but there is like a focus. Like when I spend my day creative problem solving, I feel like I can show up more with joy. And why that's valuable is I think there's different kinds of exertion and tiredness. There's exhaustion from like doing that which needs to be done. And I would say there's stress associated with that, which is like the stress of what needs to be done. Whether you like it or not, you just need to do it. It's the work that needs to be done. And for 10 years, that's always what I would do. And then there's the difference of there's stress caused by excitement. There's like energizing tasks. So things that you need to do but they're actually things that are at really speak to what's in the center of your ikigai. And so even though it's still tons of work, it's not putting negative stress on your body. And actually, you can really find joy in it. And so I do think that something like that is going to be a big part of like this next phase where I can make more time for creativity and rest because now creativity is a core part of what I'm responsible for at Lumia, you know, so I get to spend a lot of my time doing things that I actually quite enjoy doing. So I think there'll be more time for that. And, you know, as a CEO, the buck stops with you. You're responsible for everything. Anything that doesn't go right is your fault. <laughs> and everything that goes well is thanks to your team. You know, it's a pretty tough job in that, like, you're on the hook for all the things. And so I will say, like, you know, just not being responsible for everything is going to help me rest and going to help me have more of the balance that we were describing earlier. So exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. I see that you also joined the Museum of Contemporary Art. Yes. And part of their acquisition and collections committee. And then given some of the other interests that you described earlier and habits that you're forming, what have been some unexpected discoveries that you've made about yourself through these other interests and lenses? And how do you think it'll affect your ability to creatively problem solve moving forward? I think, you know, you're exactly right. I joined the acquisitions committee of MOCA, and then I also joined the board at LACMA. And I did that because I really want to, as part of someone who, like, is going to be close to creative, I want to stay close to what's happening creatively in the world. Good inspiration comes from all over the place, and you do have to leave your house for it occasionally. <laughs> so I was trying to figure out like, where do I put myself that I'm getting different exposure and inputs. And so that has been really exciting for me to play a role in that. I almost need like an endless amount of ideas. And I do think that like most ideas are not completely original. You know, most ideas that you have come from adapting some concept or some idea or some creative intuition 
and bringing it into, you know, reinterpreting it in a new way. And so I think about it almost like in marketing, there's a concept of like a marketing funnel and this idea of you try to bring a lot of people in the door through awareness. And then there's a consideration phase at the upper middle of the funnel where you're like trying to help, you know, you're kind of weeding through people and seeing who's your customer and what is the message you need to give them to help them understand the value proposition. And then there's purchase behavior and then there's retention. Like how do you keep them engaged with the brand? And I think of that almost as if I reply that to myself, I think, the wider my funnel is at the top from a creative expression idea, the more ideas I have in there. And then I still have to filter through them, but it's really hard to go be creative in a vacuum, you know? So I have to like forcibly open the top of my funnel so that I'm interacting with fresh ideas and fresh concepts and artistic applications and things like that. That's probably the most humanizing way I've heard the marketing funnel described. (laughs) So I love that. And I think, you know, building on that a little bit in terms of storytelling, whether it's through your lens or through Lunia's, something that I'm really interested in, similar to movements like slow fashion and slow food. I launched Slow Stories out of an interest in speaking with founders and creatives about how those movements, values, and practices could be applied to our digital lives and our stories. And so with all of that said, I'm curious to hear what this idea of slow content or storytelling means to you and what you're doing with Lunia and Lago's brand storytelling. Well, it's kind of a cool time to be talking about it because we are definitely reinvigorating our content and storytelling approach. Got this wonderful person that joined our team. She's our VP of brand. And I think that one of the things that she's really coached us on is real clarity and focus of messaging and storytelling and owning our space. You know, it's almost like the temptation of shiny objects is everywhere. And so how do we really focus? Like, what is the area we own? And sometimes we use this idea of creating a sandbox. Like, what is our sandbox that we get to play in? And let's define that so clearly so then we can have fun in it. So when we think about what's happening with storytelling, we're very excited. We're actually working on a newsprint and a web destination, which are all really focused around rest. And this idea of being like, what are the things that would be really interesting that you would like curation and authority on? And and how do we work backwards into that? And that could be anything from bedroom tours. Sometimes, I mean, I love interior design, but sometimes I get bored with the bedroom because it's like it needs a bed and pretty specific. But really creating a space that you like love to go into is magical. Like I told you, that's my favorite time of the day when I put my feet up. And a lot of that has to do with a combination of lots of details of the room design that helps make it do that. And I think, you know, that's things like lighting, the bedding, the kind of pillows, the, you know, the drawer in my side table, the kind of all these things, right? Like they all come together to create a vibe. And so we're like, yeah, let's do that. Or, you know, I, like I said, I have like a whole bunch of creams and things I put on and um, I love knowing what other people swear by and they love. And so I'm always interested to be like, oh, you have skin type like mine, what's working for you? Or what they're reading, like it's very much like what's on their nightstand, right? Like what are they reading when they're going to bed? And I like to find people that can inspire me and help me think different about that time of day. And I could go on and on. I mean, restful retreats, places that you'd go, gifts that you'd give that are oriented around rest, you know, even like diving into our product a lot more and helping people understand the amount of time I spend with my team agonizing over 
everything about our product. It blow anybody's mind. They're like, how can you talk about a robe for that long? But that's how we approach it. We are not a super fashion forward proliferation brand. We are a fewer better things brand, really. We are carefully curating the choice of a robe. That, yeah, there's a reason our robe's been around a long time. We did like a customer feedback sessions where we get everybody to tell us like what they hate and love about their robe. And like our robe is slid up the front so you don't trip up the stairs. It's got narrow sleeves so that you can wash your face. It's got an attached belt because everyone said they lost theirs. It's got deep pockets. It's got absorbent fabric by the neck. It's less bulky because everyone said they felt like they were drowning in their robe. It's got like a little modesty hook on one side so that you don't flash the Postmates guy. I can keep going. That's just like rattling off a few things, but that's just one product. And so a lot of the time we want to help explain for people. So I think rest is becoming increasingly valued culturally. I definitely think people are realizing that, you know, with burnout culture and people working all the time, I think they're starting to appreciate the need for replenishment and sort of revitalization in a way that I don't think they did before. And so we want to be a resource to help support people in that journey. So on that note, as you continue to kind of build out narratives and platforms that support these ideas, is there a question that you hope people will start asking you more often in terms of building habits around rest or anything in that sort of realm? One thing I will say, and I think it's a helpful, almost a metaphor to like helpful way to think about it, is that our body is hardware, a model, right? Like it was designed and has changed very little in the past thousand years. But if you think about how we're using this hardware and how much we've updated the software, so to speak, how much we've, you know, adapted to a changing world in the past thousand years, it's enormous. I mean, forget it. I'm only 38 years old. The computer didn't even exist when I was young. I mean, I was barely using a computer. I was using it, but barely in college. And then a phone, which, you know, is basically a computer in my hand. This didn't start following me around and, and having the world of information at my fingertips until, you know, very recent history. And, and so why do I say all that? Because I think we have to respect the limitations of our hardware in a way that maybe we don't. You know, we're constantly pushing ourselves for more, 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 more. And then, you know, we are seeing that people are getting really burned out and, you know, they're dealing with insomnia or depression or they're dealing with a lot of mental health things that, that maybe weren't as prominent before. And I want people to start making the connection between rest and their health because I think that there's a world where I'm not saying don't work hard and go out there and, and kill it and build a company and do that. Do that. But, you know, on the weekend, turn it off or do that, but then make there be a time, you know, give yourself the 10 years to do it or whatever it is. But if you're going to expect your hardware to run 24 hours a day, 365 days a year until the day you retire, I think you're going to be disappointed. Another helpful metaphor for sure. This conversation has been full of <laughs> such beautiful imagery. So thank you for that. But is there a question that you want to come up in conversation more? I'm always curious because I think in an age where everybody has access to share what they think, I hope that projects like Slow Stories foster a little bit more active listening and curiosity. So I think it's almost more about asking yourself, is this intentional? That's where I mean the like, if you're passively thinking, you know, thinking you're going to kill yourself by working and going, it's not just the work. And I don't want to make this just about work because it's not just about work. It's also just this over-optimization mentality where I'm like, 
you know, I'm on a work call, but I'm like ordering my Amazon Prime, you know, and getting my groceries delivered and like coordinating my kids pickup after school. And I'm replacing the plate that broke yesterday. I am doing a thousand things at once. That is going to take its toll. And so I think you have to step back and go, what am I going to intentionally say yes to? And I can't say no to all the things that stress me out. You know, that's sadly usually not an option. But what are the things that I'm going to intentionally say yes to? I remember when I was like, I am intentionally going to work like a crazy person because I'm not setting myself up to do this forever. And I am going to intentionally have kids. And actually, I also intentionally made the decision to have a really involved nanny for the first five years of my kid's life. And I told myself, when they're five, which is when they start to form more specific long-term memories, that's when I need to intentionally reprioritize again. And so instead of telling myself that like, I'm going to be this hardcore entrepreneur, and I'm going to be super mom, you know, make the perfect lunch boxes and give my kids matching outfits and, you know, have the best birthday parties on the block. I am opting out of that. I'm not opting out of parenthood, but I'm opting out of that type A approach to it for this period of time. And that enables me to kind of go, okay, not everything can be the priority. And what are the things that I'm choosing? And so I think it's, is this intentional or am I just running on the treadmill? Because I think if you're really intentional with your time, you can pick your priorities and have excellence in your life. You can build a business that's fabulous. You can have kids that love you and that feel like you're involved. And you can do all of those things, but just maybe not at the same time. Sometimes that's a hard lesson to learn. Yeah. And you, I know, I think sadly, a lot of us learn it by hitting the wall. And I think to your point about creating more space for intentional moments outside of over-optimizing, something I've loved kind of rediscovering, it might sound silly, but I've loved discovering daydreaming again. And so there's just so much more we could speak about in terms of what's next for you and Lunya. But I actually want to close things out by talking about dreams. And so I have a two-part question. First, can you share a dream that you had recently? That you woke up and it really moved you in some way? Goodness. What's the second part of this question? Yes. So what's a dream that you're having in your waking life? You know, what are you dreaming about these days, personally, professionally? These are big. These are really big. I actually had one and I'm trying to remember it. I dream a lot. Instead of one dream being incredibly pivotal or impactful, what I would say is that my dreams are sort of a report card for my mental state. So if I'm having a lot of anxiety dreams or stress dreams, which, you know, we all know what those are, and sometimes they don't even relate to the subject. I have a lot of dreams about standing at the edge of a pool and being unable to move and like watch people fall in. Like that sounds horrible, I know, but that kind of a dream, it's telling me that I'm like, definitely feels like I'm feeling out of control in my life. It's almost like it's giving me a little bit of like a warning signal. And then sometimes I grind my teeth. I wear these like night guards or whatever, but I'll have dreams where I am chewing on something like a ton of pieces of bubble gum and I can't get it out of my mouth. Sounds crazy. All these dreams, I'm realizing I sound like a crazy person, but that's me grinding my teeth because I'm in stress, you know? And so I think what I look to my dreams for is almost like a litmus test for how I'm doing. And so I would say that's really how my dreams show up in my life. It's like a mirror. It's a mirror. It's the like unfiltered version of where you're at. And lately, what I will say is I've been sleeping well lately, and I am waking up with creative ideas. 
And that's what I mean by, is it energizing stress or depleting stress? I think that I wake up being like, oh my gosh, I just saw this campaign that so-and-so did. And what if we did some version of that, but we changed this and this and this, and I'll wake up with that kind of a thing. But that feels invigorating and exciting. And so when I have that happen, that to me says like, oh, I'm playing in my guy right now. I'm playing in my sweet spot. So are there any dreams or things that you're hoping to do? Yeah. I mean, when I think about like daydreams to your second question, and I would almost call that more like fantasy or like, what do I aspire to? I'm very much aspiring to a more tactile kind of creativity. You know, there's like a difference between cooking dinner because you need to eat and cooking dinner. I actually like cooking. So I realize some people who don't like cooking, this is not going to resonate. But and then there's a difference between, you know, I have a garden in my backyard and there's a difference between like going out to the garden and seeing what's right. And then like looking it up and like getting inspired and spending a day sort of slow cooking and making the cooking less of a task and more of a creative process. And so for me, a lot of what I aspire to do is to feel less rushed and have everything feel less of a to do and get to enjoy the things, you know, they're to do's, but they're things that you can enjoy. You can find enjoyment in your everyday. I need this console table, but I'm not rushing it because the process of it is really enjoyable too. And actually that's hard for me to not rush this, try to knock it out inside of a weekend. And so, you know, when I think about what am I dreaming for, what am I hoping for, it's a general slowdown. And not because I want to do nothing, I'm not trying to like atrophy as a human, but because I want to appreciate the things that I'm doing more. That was my conversation with Ashley Merrill, founder of Lunia. You can shop Lunia online at lunia.co and follow them on social at Lunia. Also check out Logo, which provides sleepwear for the modern man at logo.co. You can also follow Ashley on social at Ashley underscore underscore Merrill. Stay tuned as we'll be sharing highlights from this episode on our own channels at Slow Stories Official on Instagram and at Slow Stories Pod on Twitter. I'm Rachel Schwartzman, and you've been listening to Slow Stories. Thank you so much for tuning in.